to talk a little bit uh, this afternoon about, uh, about Father's Day and about what it means to, to have a loving God as Father and about this, this really special relationship that we're meant to have with Him. And I'll get to that in a second. But um, I just want to acknowledge up front that Father's Day is really great for some people and really tough for others. It's not always the easiest day in the world because anytime you shine a spotlight on a group of people, it can really make other people feel left out. And we don't want to run down that path where we shine a spotlight on nobody so that nobody ever feels special because that's totally unhelpful. But we also do want to acknowledge that it's not always easy for people. It can bring up effectively daddy issues, right? I actually think we all have daddy issues one way or another. Maybe not to this level. That's some pretty strong. Check out the side eye that Luke Skywalker is giving Darth in that. I love that. I love that. I get that from my kids so often. And you do that. You just look straight ahead and pretend it's not happening. We all have daddy issues. And especially as boys, we measure ourselves by our dads, right? So you grow up and if you've got a dad in the home, that is the person you are most naturally gravitating towards to give you a picture of what it looks like to be a man. And so if you're a boy, you spend half your time trying to prove yourself or trying to make them proud or rebelling against them and sort of vacillating between these two. And I, I really rem- I remember very vividly one particular moment when I had a daddy issue, when I was in conflict with my father. So I would have been maybe nine years old, 10 years old, and Ninja Turtle cards, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle cards were just peak culture. And frankly, I'm surprised they're not still peak culture. Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle cards, I was obsessed with them. Any spare dollar I had, I was running down to the store, buying as many Ninja Turtle cards as I could and ripping them open, doing my thing. Anyway, it got to a point where Dad said to me, look, you're spending too much money on Ninja Turtle cards. It's not good for you. I actually don't want you to go to the shops today. I don't want you to go buy Ninja Turtle cards and I kicked a, bit of a, kicked a bit of a fuss up and, you know, stormed off and went to my room. And while I was in my room, I thought, I have a plan. And so I came back and I said, hey, Dad, yeah, fair, good point. I'm just going to, I just want to play basketball down at the local ring. Is that all right? And in my 10-year-old brain, I was like, this is, like, ironclad. Nobody's going to see through this because, of course, you're not going to believe this. I actually wanted to sneak off and buy Ninja Turtle cards. And so I went to Dad and like, I said to this and I said, yeah, just want to just play basketball down at the local ring. And Dad's like, sure, yeah, that's fair. Go for it. I was like, great. Grab my ball. I'm like, sucker. Wander down to the local ring and, of course, just kept walking. Walked down to the shop, bought some Ninja Turtle cards. Like, great. I come back up. Literally, like, my memory of this, maybe I've made this up. Who knows? It's a long time ago. And I, my memory is that I'm just going through these cards, like, literally looking at the cards. And I get back to the ring and I just look up and there's Dad just standing in the basketball court just waiting. Just waiting. And it's that classic moment where you're like, ah, I'm in a lot of trouble. (laughs) But also, he hasn't had to do any work here. He's just mapped it out from the beginning, like Moriarty versus Sherlock Holmes. I'm Sherlock Holmes in this analogy, not Moriarty, not the villain. And so I've I've been mapped out. It's all been mapped ahead of me. So that was when I had daddy issues. And now I have my own boys. And so they have daddy issues with me. And I see this happening. I see it because my beloved, my beloved sons, I've got a five-year-old and a seven-year-old, and my seven-year-old is perhaps a little ahead of the curve when it comes to stretching the truth, okay? So if you've had kids or even like little brothers or sisters, you know what this is like when they're just stretching the truth or just flat out lying to you. So the classic one that I get all the time now is that I don't know anything. I don't know anything. So I'll say, hey, this is where this shop is. And my seven-year-old Charlie will be like, no, it isn't. 
Okay. Yeah, it, no, it is. I know where the shop is, and he gets really antsy about it. So, for example, yesterday he was talking to me about how there's a Grey Nichols shop. Grey Nichols, the cricket brand. He's like, there's a Grey Nichols shop in Adelaide. I'm like, there isn't. He's like, there is. We Google it. There isn't. He's still not happy, still not satisfied. We, we recently, he was playing footy, and he came home, and I wasn't at this particular game. Uh, one of our team, Victoria, actually took him, which was a real treat for him. And he went and he played, and he's like, Dad, he comes running through the door. He's like, Dad, I kicked seven goals today. It's like, seven goals? It's unbelievable. I kicked two across the whole season as a kid, and both of them were flukes. So seven in a game is beyond my imagination. And I paused because I know the way those games play, and I thought, seven's pretty much impossible for someone that age. It's like, buddy, did you really score seven? And behind him, Victoria's just shaking her head like, no, he didn't. He's like, and he said, oh, no, no, I didn't. It's like, did, did you not score any goals? He's like, no, I scored two. I was like, that's fantastic. That's my total career amount of goals. He's like, yeah, but last week I scored five, and I thought you wouldn't be proud of me unless I did better. It's kind of heartbreaking. I was like, oh, buddy, well, that's a good call. Yeah, I'm not really proud of you because <laughs> seven next game, that's our aim next. No, of course I didn't say that. Of course I didn't. I love my son. I got down and said to him, buddy, I'm always proud of you. You're an amazing footy player. The fact that you kick two goals is incredible. You should be proud of that. But there is this sense in us that we have this inbuilt daddy issue. You're like, I want you to be proud of me. And I think we actually get this weird dad understanding progression and we get stuck. Let me explain it to you. When, when we are born and we start forming sounds, almost the very first word that people say is always what? Dada, 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 dada. That's because as dads, when, we, when we're like, hey, honey, why don't you have a rest this time? I'll, I'll stay up with him in the middle of the night. We're just leaning over their cribs like, dad, 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 say it, say it. I want to win, dad, 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 dad. Don't you say mum first. You'll be disinherited, dad, 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 dad. So we, we that, and so often, because it's an easier sound, they say dad first. All my kids said dad first, not because they love me more. It's just an easier sound to say than my. Dad, dad, dad. Now, what does that signify? Recognition. I know who you are. I know who you are. So this is how we start. We start with it, dad, 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 I know who you are. I don't know anything else in the world, but I know that face or how much of that face I can perceive right now. I recognize that. And then we move on. And when they can start forming sentences and words properly, more cohesively, they start to say, daddy. And daddy is just about the most exciting word in a father's lexicon because it's often accompanied with like running and they throw themselves at you. My five-year-old is still in full-fledged daddy mode and it is adorable and I don't want it to ever change if it stunts his own development, that's his problem, but I need that daddy. I need the fix. It's so good. They run, they say, daddy, and in that daddy is affection and love and trust, all built in this one word. There is so much in that one word, daddy. Doesn't stop at daddy. Goes from dada to daddy. What comes next? Dad. Dad. Can you hear even in the sound of it? It's a bit more dismissive. Dad. But it doesn't, dad, it just sounds like a flat tire or something, dad. But even when we say dad, it doesn't stop at dad, it moves, it shifts, it gets stretched around. Dad, I get that a lot. Dad, you're not funny. I'm a daughter, you think you're funny. I'm like, oh, oh, it'll be funny when she misses out on dinner tonight. Dad, or dad, I get that a lot too, dad. You make a joke at their expense, suddenly it's really not funny. Dad, 
dad, dad. And then it goes from the sort of angry dad to this kind of frustrated dad. You know, as they get older, they progress into teenage, you get more of a dad. Like, you don't understand. I can't wait for 10 years from now when my beautiful five-year-old son is 15 and he's trying to explain to me how to ride like a space pony. And he's like, you don't understand, dad. We've been riding space ponies at school for the last six years. How do you not know this? Come on. I don't know. I don't know what the future is going to be like. Work with me here. And then it goes from this frustrated dad to sometimes it moves to this other place where it's kind of like dismissive. Dad. Yeah, that's just dad. That's just how dad is. You're not going to change him. He's like that now. And I think we actually have this issue where we've been stuck on this place with dad. We're meant to move to one more step, and that's to say father. Now, father's not a very Aussie word. It's almost got three syllables, for goodness sake. You're not going to use that in Australia. So we don't use father. But if in dad there's this sense of familiarity, and there is, in father there's a sense of respect. There's a sense of honour. And in Eastern cultures, that sense of honour and respect is so inbuilt. But in Australia, we've lost it. We don't say father anymore, and we're poorer for it. We don't have the same inbuilt level of respect and honour for elders and for authority figures that we used to have. And though we don't have this anymore and we're poorer for it, we have to acknowledge as fathers that we're partially responsible for it. Because people have experienced fathers who have been absent, who have been abusive, who have been violent, and that is simply unacceptable. And it has caused a crucial breaking down of where we're meant to go as fathers. There's meant to be a place we get to of reverence and respect, not where we're perpetually right, but where there is an honour that is given to the father. But we seem to have missed it. We have daddy issues. And there's plenty of daddy issues in Scripture as well. But before I get there, I just, I just want to pause and say that if any of those words hit home for you, that you have experienced a dad who is absent or alcoholic or abusive emotionally or physically or otherwise, I just want to outright apologize and say there is no excuse to justify it, that you deserve better. And on behalf of all the dads, we will do the best we can to be better than that and to set a better standard for the next generation. Now, if we as a culture have got stuck in this stage where we say, dad, 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 and we get to this sort of dismissive, frustrated sense of dad, this sense of familiarity has bred something that familiarity always breeds. It has bred contempt. So let's, let's unpack why this might be a bit of a problem by looking at Scripture. We're going to go to Romans chapter 8 today. It's going to be up on the screen behind me. Uh, but if you've got a Bible, I encourage you to open it with you because you're going to get more out of that Scripture than you'll get out of me. It'll be really good. So let's get into that. And we're going to read in Romans chapter 8 from a guy named Paul. Now, Paul, Paul was a very famous figure in the New Testament and wrote many of the letters. And he talks about fatherhood quite a lot. In fact, fatherhood is a really big mention throughout all of Scripture. In 1 Corinthians, one of his letters, Paul reminds a different church about the importance of fatherhood. He says this, chapter 4, verse 15, For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. That's one of the promises we made for Liam today, that we would stand and, and be fathers. We're not going to be his father, right? He's got a father. He doesn't need us to stand in Dean's space, but he needs us to get alongside him and be extra brothers and uncles and fathers alongside as we are building a community around him. That's so special. Paul goes on to say, You do not have many fathers, for I became your father 
in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Countless guides, many fathers. Guides don't have the same level of investment as fathers. A guide can take you from A to B and then say, see you later, I've done what I have to do. A father never leaves you, never forsakes you. Let's have a look at this passage in Romans. Chapter 8, verses 14 to 17. It goes like this. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share with his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. We're going to get back to that in a second. But I want to touch on something that's important first. And that is that often in the Bible, when we talk about approaching God, we're told to fear God. Fear God. Now, that can be a bit off-putting. If somebody told you, came up to me and said, hey, fear your dad. I'd be like, I already do, but why? You tell me why specifically this time. What's he done? Is there something I don't know about? It would be a very strange thing to say. It can be a bit off-putting. But the, the great theologian Martin Luther puts it this way. He says, there are two different kinds of fear, and usually we're thinking about the wrong one. One is about slavery, and one is about family. A slavery kind of fear says this, I am afraid that you will punish me. Right? It's a punishment-based fear. I'm afraid that you will hurt me. But a family-based fear is totally different. It's a fear that says, I'm afraid of letting you down. I'm afraid of offending you. I'm afraid of upsetting you. I'm afraid that you won't be proud of me. Now, don't get me wrong. That can be manipulated by people. But in one hand, the slavery kind of fear is saying, I'm afraid that you will hurt me. But the family kind of fear is saying, I'm afraid that I'll hurt you. There's a difference. And when we approach God as Father, we're not meant to approach Him and go, I'm afraid you'll hurt me. We're actually meant to approach Him and say, I'm kind of worried I'm not good enough for you because he is a holy God, a holy God. We're really saying we want God to be proud of us, be proud of us. Paul takes it further though. In verse 15, he reminds us that we weren't given a spirit in us of slavery to fear. Fear is not our master. Fear is not what directs our relationship with God even though we might need a little bit of honor and respect and awe because God is all-powerful. And so we wrestle with this dynamic. How do we come close to this God that is meant to be perceived as Father if God is all-powerful? How do you come close to a being that has no flaws? How do you come close? How do you have love for a being that is above and beyond us, beyond all our understanding? Well, Paul goes on to say that the spirit we have inside of us, the spirit of God, helps us cry out, Abba, Father. Now, Abba is a weird word to see in the Bible, and not just because you get worried that you have the lyrics to Waterloo stuck in your head. And yes, I did that on purpose, and yes, I know what's happening right now, and you're welcome. Sorry. <laughs> but it's a weird word to see in the Bible because it's not English. And for most of us, if English is our first language, or if you read it in a different first language, you will read it fully in that language because none of the Bible is really English. The Old Testament's predominantly Hebrew and the New Testament is predominantly Greek. So why, if it's all being translated into English, do we have this one word? Abba. It's actually Abba. Don't confuse it with the band. Abba. Well, here's why. Because it's not a Greek word. It's an Aramaic word. Aramaic was the mother tongue of Jesus. 
It's the, it's the language that Jesus would have been speaking to his people. And the other people in Jerusalem and Israel would have been speaking in the first century AD. They would have been speaking this Aramaic to each other. And Abba is a word that means father. And because it's in Aramaic, because it's in their mother tongue, there's something deeply heartfelt and intimate about it. So when Paul says that our spirit lets us cry out Abba, it's saying something deeply intimate. It's saying father in a really intimate, beautiful way. The next question you should be asking yourself is, great explanation, Mike. Why is it we then saying, Father, Father? Like, did, did Paul have a stutter? Uh, maybe, but, you know, that's not why it says Father, Father. It's because the second word was translated from Greek. Pater, pater. Paternity, paternal, right? Paternalistic. This is where we get this word. It's from the Greek and the Latin, same word, pater, P-A-T-E-R. You've got abba, pater, next to each other, meaning the same thing, but abba, is this heartfelt sense of this is my heart tongue. There's an intimacy in this language. Whereas Peter, is just, this is just the tongue that we're forced to write in to communicate to the culture around us. See, what, what is happening here is Paul saying, Daddy, Father. Abba, Daddy. Peter, Father. And he's saying this to help us understand how to approach God. He's saying when you approach God, you approach him as Abba, that intimate daddy, as a child you can love and run to because God is all loving, all loving. But you also approach him as Peter because he is all powerful. He is holy. He is glorious. You somehow have to hold this tension of daddy and father together. And frankly, it's hard enough just trying to remember to pick up the kids after school. How do we hold this intention? The thing I like about this is it skips past dad. Skips past dad. I'm going to probably continue to say dad, but it skips past the sense of dad and reminds us that the daddy issue we have, we're meant to be loving and honoring, both in the same place. And when we have God's spirit in us, we cry out, Abba, Father. And so we have that intimate, close relationship with God, like a young child to a father. And we also have the honor and reverence for God. And you need to know, that, my friends, that your daddy issues are fixed when you, can, when you just concentrate on the both loving and powerful nature of God the Father. God is not tyrannical. God is not distant. God is not somebody who's enslaving you or calling you to be afraid of him. God is saying, yes, I'm all powerful, but you've got to understand I'm all loving. And I have come so near to you. God is both at once and any fear of impressing God goes away when you realize that even though he's all-powerful, he's all-loving. But any treating God with familiarity and contempt goes away when you realize that even though God is all-loving, he is holy and all-powerful. He's both at once. If the band wanted to come back up, that'd be great. Just as I finish up, we, we do need honor and respect and reverence in approaching God, our Heavenly Father. Approaching perfection should fill us with a little bit of awe. Think of it in the sense of if you've been married, the feeling you felt when you saw your bride come down the aisle, or if you're a bride when you walked into the church and all eyes look before you, there's something perfect about that moment. Well, multiply that by a million. That's about what we need when we approach God the Father. But luckily, it's not all up to us approaching God. God has already approached us. God has come near to us in Jesus. Love and power and authority came to earth in the form of Jesus. 
Jesus was really the ultimate father figure. Jesus' sacrifice for us allowed us to live. And just like dads do their best to sacrifice to their children to give them good lives, Jesus is like the perfect model of that. God has shown us His love in the sacrifice of Jesus and showed us His power from rising from the grave, both together. And you might be saying, Mike, this all sounds nice, but how can we trust God? How can we know that this is true, that God has adopted us into His family through the sacrifice of Jesus? How can we know? That is an excellent question and a fair question. But unfortunately for you, I have an unfair advantage on you. The unfair advantage is not that I went to Bible college or anything like that. My unfair advantage is that I've experienced adoption and most of you haven't. I know what it means to be not of a family and invited into a family. I know what it means to have a father who can say, if he wants to, you're not my son, but show you nothing but unconditional love and kindness and goodness. And uh, my dad's going to hate this. He's not the sort of person who likes attention, but I love you so much. And uh, I'm so grateful for you. And uh, you sacrificed a lot to raise me. You loved me. You nurtured me. I've always known you were proud of me. I've never felt any less for being adopted. You taught me how to be a man, and I'm grateful for it. He's hating this. He's absolutely hating it. Now, my dad isn't perfect. He tells terrible jokes. And I'm not just saying that as his son. I think a lot of people would agree with me. He tells terrible jokes. He's been getting a bit grumpier as he gets older, particularly when he has three grandkids at once, but I can understand that. Still doesn't really know how to use his mobile phone. I know, you're getting better. You know the basic functions. I'm not here to have an argument. I've got the microphone. But what he did is he taught me. He gave me a model of what it means to be a man and a father that I am so grateful for. And Jesus looks at an example like my dad and he says this in Matthew chapter 7, if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to you? Let me, be, let me assure you as somebody who is an adopted child, who hasn't been raised by his birth parents, that I have never felt anything but pure love and acceptance from my parents. And they, with all due love and respect to them, are a pale imitation of God, the Father, who loves you so desperately. And He's crying out to you right now saying, I have more for your life if you'll let me. Just trust me. I am both all loving and all powerful. And I've drawn near to you in Jesus. God has adopted us as children and He, we have an inheritance in Him. He is your heavenly Father. He's all you'll ever need. Let me pray.